0: Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, and welcome to Building a Bridge to God's Word. Thank you for joining us. We are in a series right now talking about the history of the English Bible and I wanted to do this series because I think it's really important that we know where our Bible came from and also this helps us to understand things like why we have so many different versions that we have today and it helps build our trust in the translations that we have. So in this series, in the first episode, we talked about the very beginning of the Bible both through the human authors and then also through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then in the next episode, we moved on to talking about the first period of translation, which was really right after the death of Christ. So at that time, persecution of Christians rose, Christians spread out across the known world and they brought Christianity and the Bible with them. So there was a huge boom in translation during that time. And during that time, one of the translations that was made was Latin. And this was one of the major languages of the known world at that time. So Christianity also became legalized. And then Bible translation slowed down. And the church began to see Latin as the only true version of the Bible. And so Bible translation actually came to a stop for nearly a thousand years. So that's where we wanted to pick up the story today. So, during this thousand years, from about 450 AD to the late 1300s, the church was slowly increasing in power and becoming the dominant ruling power in Europe. And the church had the most political and financial and religious power of any country or institution in all of Europe. And part of the way that the church maintained this control was through controlling the Bible. So we talked about last time how it started out with a very legitimate desire to avoid heresy, but slowly this morphed into saying that people have no ability to communicate with God on their own. It must all be done through the priest and it must all be done in Latin. So this is the backdrop. When in 1330, John Wycliffe was born. John Wycliffe is called the Morning Star of the Reformation because he was the first one, kind of that initial inciting force to start bringing change into the church in Europe. So, John Wycliffe was born in England. He studied at Oxford and eventually became a professor and theologian there. So, England is off of mainland Europe, but the church was actually the head of the church was based in Rome, which is in Italy. So the church had all their different lands, all the different countries paying tribute, and that included England. But due to various circumstances, England actually hadn't been paying the tribute for several years. So when a new pope came to power, he started demanding that England pay this tribute. So at this time, Wycliffe, as this professor and theologian, actually also was an advisor to the English king. And he, as he studied the Bible, began to think that the church actually shouldn't be demanding this tribute because the purpose of the church was not to gain wealth. So he started advising the English king not to actually pay the tribute, which, of course, did not make the church happy. And so they put Wycliffe under house arrest, But rather than be discouraged, Wycliffe used this time to deepen his study of of the Bible. And through that, he became convicted of several problems within the church. And one of those problems was that he began to believe the average person should be able to read the Bible in their own language. So he began to translate the Bible into English for the first time in a thousand years. But Wycliffe's work was not totally appreciated, as we said, by the church, and there was so much dissension that was caused by his writing that actually 40 years after he died, he died a natural death, but 40 years later, his ideas were still spreading. And so to stop that, the church actually had his bones dug up and burned and scattered onto a river, but um, some people have seen this actually as kind of symbolic because as his ashes spread out from that river and into the ocean. So his influence continued to grow and spread in Europe. So after Wycliffe's death, there was a second man who came on the scene who moved along the translation of the Bible into English. And this was John Huss. And he lived shortly after Wycliffe and he didn't translate the Bible himself, but he was one of those people who actually promoted Wycliffe's work and helped to spread his influence. In 1415, John Huss was actually burned at the stake for his heretical ideas, but before he was burned, he famously said, In a hundred years, God will raise up a man whose calls for reform cannot be suppressed. Almost exactly 100 years later, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg. But before we can talk about Martin Luther, we have to talk about another major world development which allowed the Reformation to happen and made Bible translation more possible, and that was the invention of the printing press. So in 1439, Johannes Gutenberg invented the printing press, meaning that it was suddenly possible to print and distribute large numbers of texts. So this meant that not only could the Bible be translated into different languages, but it was actually possible for people to have a copy of their own. So then we move on to Martin Luther. Martin Luther was born in 1483. He started out studying to become a lawyer, but he became convicted of his sin and decided instead to become a monk. However, no matter how much he devoted himself to Christ, he continually felt the weight of his sin. So he really began to study the Bible, to find the answers, and through doing that, he began to see some problems within the church. So what he's famous for is nailing his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, and what these were basically were were different things that he felt like were problems in the church, but he wasn't intending to break away from the church. He was actually intending to open things up for discussion to help try to solve some of these problems in the church and to get some discussion going, basically. And one of the things that he wrote about was that the average person would be able to have the Bible available to them in their own language. And one of his, one of his principal ideas was called the priesthood of the believer, that people are able to reach God on their own. They don't need a priest as an intermediary between them and God. So in order to follow through on this, he himself translated a large portion of the Bible into German. So he lived in Germany and he was German. So, okay, now we have the Bible going into German, but what about English? And Luther actually had a great influence on William Tyndale So William Tyndale, he lived a little bit after Luther, but he was a gifted intellectual man. He had a passion for God's word. He went to Oxford and Cambridge and he became a priest. But one of the things through his study that became his passion is that he was convinced that God's desire was for people to read and know his word. So he actually asked permission from the Bishop of London to translate the Bible into English, but the bishop told him no, and basically also told him that that would not be acceptable anywhere in England. So Tyndale moved to Europe and especially to Germany to see if he could find a more accepting environment. There he was influenced by Martin Luther. We're not actually sure if they met each other or if he studied under Luther or if he just was influenced by his work, but he translated a lot of the same books that Luther had A lot of the same books of the Bible. But he actually translated directly from the original languages. So Luther didn't have the knowledge of the original languages, but Tyndale did. So he translated from the original languages. And his translations were so well done that actually later, we'll talk later about some of the future Bible translations. And a lot of those were based on Tyndale's work. And that includes the King James Version, which we will talk about. So of course, English authorities were not happy with what he was doing and they found out about it because these Bibles were printed on Gutenberg's printing press and they were actually smuggled back into England. So the English authorities decided to try and stop this by buying up all his work and burning it. So the irony being that by buying his work, they were financing him to do more of it. But eventually in 1536. Tyndale was tracked down by English authorities and he was burned at the stake for heresy. But before he died, he cried out, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And interestingly, within four years of Tyndale's death, the King of England actually had financed four different translations of the Bible in English. So because of all of this work, Tyndale is called the father of the English Bible. So William Tyndale was actually not able to complete the entire Bible. He printed the New Testament and he started on the Old Testament, but did not complete it because of his imprisonment and his death. But he had influence on two specific young men who were able to complete his work. So the first of those was Miles Coverdale and Miles Coverdale studied with Tyndale for the last six years of Tyndale's life. And um, he was able to continue Tyndale's work, and he was the first to publish a complete English Bible. The only thing with Coverdale was that he did not speak the original languages, so his translations were based on Latin and German on Luther's work. So along with Coverdale was a man named John Rogers, and John Rogers did know the original languages, and so he was able to publish, a year after Coverdale published a complete Bible, He was able to publish a complete Bible as well, and it's mostly Tyndale's work, but the parts that he added were based on the Hebrew and Greek. So his Bible is sometimes called the Tyndale Matthew Bible as a result. So as I said, it was only within four years of Tyndale's death that the King of England was beginning to change his mind and actually commissioned a translation of the Bible. And as we will see, Miles Coverdale actually helped with this translation. So that's actually what we're going to talk a little bit more about next time. How those changes occurred, what changed the king of England's mind, and what happened to the Bible as it moved from being heretical to own a Bible to actually being commissioned by the king himself. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode about the history of the English Bible. And I hope you will join us again next time for Building a Bridge to God's Word.